and in the most horrifying terms, and Kiley's own lawyer was willing to confirm the story, some of the big papers, including the New York Times, did not run it. But I kept on writing, Hersha said, and by the third story I found this amazing fellow, Paul Meadlow, from a small town in Indiana, a farm kid, who had actually shot many of the Vietnamese kids. He'd shot maybe a hundred people. He just kept on shooting and shooting, and then the next day he had his leg blown off, and he told Callie, as they medevaced him, God has punished me, and now he will punish you. After Hirsch published that interview, CBS put Meadlow on the evening news, and the story broke open. The next year, Hirsch won the Pulitzer Prize, a rarity for a freelancer. By the time Hirsch was ready to write a book about the massacre, My Lai 4, he had interviewed dozens of participants and officials and discovered myriad macabre details, including how Colonel George S. Patton III, son of the Patton, sent out a Christmas card reading, Peace on Earth, with photographs of dismembered Viet Cong soldiers stacked in a neat pile. In 1972, he published a long account of the government's secret investigation and cover-up of the My Lai Massacre in The New Yorker. It is an open secret in journalistic circles that reporters, like detectives and sprinters, lose their legs. Eventually, they go to grass, they retire, they get desk jobs, they become columnists, or worse, editors. Cy Hirsch is my colleague and friend, but I also know that his general regard for editors can best be reflected in what the late Shirley Povich of the Washington Post used to say of the breed. An editor is a mouse training to be a rat. Hirsch, who is in his mid-sixties, is a reporter, and he always will be. If anything, he has even more energy now than he did in his thirties, and the results are plain. His work for The New Yorker during the administration of George W. Bush, which is reflected in this book, represents an achievement, journalistic and even moral, as striking as his reports on Milai. Hirsch's parents were immigrants from Lithuania and Poland who came to Chicago and eventually opened a dry-cleaning store on the south side. His father, Isidore, died when Hirsch and his twin brother were just 17. At the University of Chicago, Hirsch majored in history, but he also spent a lot of time doing crossword puzzles, playing bridge, and hanging out. He spent less than a year at the law school there before he was kicked out for poor grades. His first job out of school was as a liquor counter clerk at Walgreens at one fifty an hour. This was not a wholly satisfying line of work. He got a job at the city news bureau, where he began his distinguished career covering such stories as a fire in a manhole. After a stint in the Army, he was a public information officer at Fort Riley, Kansas. He worked for the UPI, then for the AP as a Pentagon correspondent. He quit the AP in 1967 after his editors diluted and cut a story he had written investigating the government's development of biological and chemical weapons. After selling a version of the story to the New Republic, he spent a few months working as press secretary and speechwriter for Eugene McCarthy, and then he got serious again about his career as a reporter. With his stories on Me Lai, Hirsch joined a tradition of muckrakers, including Upton Sinclair, Ida Tarbell, Lincoln Steffens, Rachel Carson, and I.F. Stone. Theodore Roosevelt had adapted the term from Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the man who was offered a celestial crown for his muckrake, but who would neither look up nor regard the crown he was offered, but continued to rake to himself the filth of the floor. In order to criticize reckless journalists like David Graham Phillips, 
who were attacking some of his allies in the Senate for their fealty to corporate interests. After Milai, Hirsch applied his rake to a huge variety of fields of public endeavor and malfeasance. In his career, as a freelancer and as a staff writer for both the New York Times and since 1998, The New Yorker, Hirsch has cracked so many stories of major importance that his only conceivable rival is Bob Woodward of the Washington Post. During Watergate, when Woodward and Carl Bernstein were soundly beating the competition week after week, the editors of the Times tried to catch up by the only means possible, deploying Seymour Hirsch. Although the Washington Post, in both legend and reality, remained ahead on the story until Nixon's resignation, Hirsch scored numerous beats and was a constant prod to Woodward and Bernstein. The three reporters occasionally met for dinner during the most intense months of the scandal, trading jibes and gossip, but always carefully avoiding giving away secrets and leads. In their book, All the President's Men, Woodward and Bernstein write of Hirsch showing up for those dinners in ancient sneakers, a frayed shirt, and rumpled, bleached khakis. He was unlike any reporter they had ever met. He did not hesitate to call Henry Kissinger a war criminal in public, and was openly attracted and repelled by the power of the New York Times. At the Times, Hirsch broke a series of stories about the CIA's illegal spying on domestic enemies, Henry Kissinger's surveillance of government employees, the U.S.-backed coup in Chile in 1973, and the secret bombing of Cambodia. Since the early 1990s, Hirsch has been writing long investigative pieces for The New Yorker, including a prescient article in 1993 describing how Pakistan had built its nuclear program, and one in 1999 on the decline of intelligence analysis in the National Security Agency. He has written eight books, including Chain of Command. For many years, Hirsch has worked in a spare office on Connecticut Avenue in Washington, a room and a half stacked with countless books and yellow legal pads with scrawled notes and telephone numbers. It is the office equivalent of a freshman dorm room minus the pizza boxes. On one wall, there is a typed memo from Lawrence Eagleburger and Robert McCluskey to Kissinger, their boss at the State Department, that is dated September 24, 1974. It reads, We believe Seymour Hirsch intends to publish further allegations on the CIA in Chile. He will not put an end to this campaign. You are his ultimate target. Later, Hirsch would write a book, The Price of Power, which remains the definitive investigation of Kissinger's activities during the Nixon era. On the morning of September 11th, just a couple of hours after hijacked airplanes had rammed into the World Trade Towers, the Pentagon, and a field in Pennsylvania, Hirsch and I talked. We agreed that he would have to follow this story no matter where it went, and that he would likely have to publish more frequently, ranging into foreign and domestic intelligence communities, the military, the State Department, and the White House. Since then, Hirsch has written 26 stories for The New Yorker, nearly 110,000 words, an astonishing output considering the intensity of the reporting that each piece has required, the number of leads he's looked into and discarded. The work he has done in that period, in both the magazine and as it is presented here, does not pretend to be an encyclopedic history of September 11th, the Bush administration, or the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, but his achievement since that morning has been remarkable. He has produced a body of inquiry that has shed light on, among other subjects, the intelligence failures leading up to September 11th, the corruption of the Saudi royal family, threats to the security of the Pakistani nuclear arsenal, 
the grievous shortcomings of the wars and post-war planning in Afghanistan and Iraq, the mishandling of the case against Zacharias Massawi, the administration's attempts to promote dubious intelligence on an Iraqi nuclear program, the Pentagon's Office of Special Plans, and how it stovepiped its intelligence and ideological arguments to the White House, and finally, the torture scandal at Abu Ghraib. Hirsch cuts a singular figure in Washington. Even as a staff reporter for the New York Times or the New Yorker, he has always been a kind of lone wolf, operating out ahead of the pack, sometimes seeing things well before others, often discovering details that become leads for other investigations. It's clear in hindsight that no reporter, not even one as energetic and fearless as Hirsch, was able to get the absolute full story of the post-September 11th crises in real time. No one was able to expose in fact and in full before the war what the administration's critics were rightly asserting as a matter of possibility or likelihood, that the White House's claims of an imminent threat were false or exaggerated, that weapons of mass destruction would not be found after the invasion. But Hirsch did expose clear evidence that the administration was playing a dangerous game with intelligence. Before the invasion of Iraq, he published a story laying out the implications of the forgery of documents proving that Iraq had made arrangements to purchase nuclear materials from Niger. Some of what he wrote is now part of the received wisdom. For example, that key information from Iraqi defectors was unreliable. So it is worth remembering that much of it was highly controversial when his stories were first published. In Piece After Piece, he showed how, by manipulating the process of intelligence analysis, the Bush administration deceived itself as much as it did the American people. He was able to do this.